Welcome to Parkview. Welcome to 11 o'clock service. Move in. Okay, thanks. Um, really, I mean, people are still coming in, and uh, if you've got a spare seat, please scrunch together so we can get everybody in here, and let me uh, start the 11 o'clock speech again. Uh, it's time for a bunch of you to move. We need you to move over to Saturday night, especially 545. We've got a whole section still open at 545. We'd love for you to switch over and help us out with that. Um, the reason there are a lot of people here is because we are talking about some tough subjects, some things that people want to know answers to. Last week, uh, we talked about the difference between us and Catholicism, and I hope that if you didn't get a chance to be here, that you'll go online and listen to that. We've got a grand, brand new media player. It's really an easy way for you to be able to watch what's going on full screen and everything on our website, parkviewchurch.com. Go on and watch that. What we did is we, we went to our people and we said, hey, what do your friends want to know? What are some of the hard questions? I mean, it's, it's great for me to get up here and talk about what I want to talk about, but let's talk about what you want to talk about. So that's why you're here. That's why so many of you have come. And, uh, and this week we talk about hell. Who wants to talk about hell today? Okay, I don't either, but you know what? We're going to. Um, and, and I start with a sobering story. A farmer from southern Illinois who died and went to hell. Crazy old codger, really rough dude. He went to he went to hell and he's in hell and the and the and the devil comes up to him and he goes, Hey, how you like it down here? And the farmer said, Well, you know, it's hotter than this in southern Illinois. It's not really that bad. Well, this ticked the devil off. So the devil said, Okay, well he went to his minions, he said, Okay, you guys gotta turn the heat up because I'm gonna get this guy, he's bugging me. So they turned the heat way up as high as it would go, and he went back and he said, Hey, what do you think now? The farmer said, well, it's hot, but it's a dry heat, and there's a lot of humidity in southern Illinois, and it's just not that bad to me. Well, this ticked the devil off even more. So he goes to his guys, and he says, hey, let's, let's, tr- let's trade it around on this guy. Let's flip it over. Turn the air conditioning on. I want it freezing in here. Let's freeze this guy out of here and see what he thinks. Freeze it up, comes over to the guy, says, hey, uh, what do you think now? The farmer said, now, nah, it's cold, but it gets colder than this in southern Illinois, and By the way, did the Cubs win the World Series? (laughs) Yeah, think about it a little bit. Hell freezing over. That's what I'm talking about. Hell freezing over. Hey, come on. It's the Cubs decade, man. I'm a Cub fan now. This is going to happen. All they need to do is sign Pujols and like five or six other good hitters and five or six other good pitchers, and it's going to happen, man. But this isn't about the Cubs. This is about hell, okay? Let's talk about hell. You think I'm going to hell if I'm not a Christian? Now, my answer might depend on who I was talking to, okay? If I'm on a plane sitting next to the person and I want to get some work done, then my answer is, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the end of it, right? Or if it's a boy that wants to date my daughter or a relative that, you know, wants to borrow money, uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to hell. Um, But, but, um, but, but Paul told Titus, you should, we should make the teaching of God our Savior attractive. And I, I really think that that's important. And that, that's something that I've taken personally. I think that we should make the gospel attractive. And Jesus called it good news. Okay? So can I just say this right up front? Um, I hope, I'm going to talk about would Jesus have gay friends next weekend. Okay? And I hope that you, A, have gay friends. And I hope that, B, 
you will invite them. And I hope that, that, that they can rest assured. I'm going to speak biblical truth next weekend, but I hope that they can rest assured that we're going to love them and accept them and that they should be here because, yes, the obvious answer is, yes, Jesus would have gay friends and I have gay friends and that's the way that we're supposed to be, okay? We're supposed to love, okay? Um, I don't think that the world thinks that we have good news because we're so narrow-minded. They did a survey recently of 18 to 25-year-olds and they asked them, what's the number one word you think of Christians? And what do you think it was? Judgmental. 87% said they are judgmental. And some of them are, and I don't like them either. But Jesus did use the word narrow to talk about following him. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He wasn't saying God wanted it that way. He was saying that's the truth. And then he goes on, and he makes the most outrageous, politically incorrect statement anybody has ever made in human history. When he said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So it does seem narrow. It does seem like the easy thing is the broad road and the harder thing is the narrow road. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, I left the band out here to do what some of you um, may not like, but, but you've got to just deal with this for a minute, okay? Just, just help me out here for a second. I like, to, I like to use the things of the world, the things, the common things, you know, the, a commercial or a, a clip from The Simpsons I'll have in a little bit or, or whatever, to try to help illustrate the profound. Jesus was the master at taking the common and making it illustrate the profound. And for a lot of us, the profound difference in our thinking about hell came in 1979 when a song came out that we played really, really loudly on our 8-track players as we drove down the road, and thus the reason for the band still being out here, and we would play this song really, really loud, and we would sing it, maybe not you, maybe me, I'm sure my wife didn't, but I did, you, you, we, would, we would sing it, and we would rock out, and we would say, this song really rocks, but in the back of our mind, there was something that was just like, Wow, this is really crazy. This is the pivotal... I think, I believe that the release of this song was the pivotal moment in history when people stopped worrying about eternity, stopped worrying about heaven and hell, stopped believing in heaven and hell. So um, this is not our special music. Don't clap. Don't get your lighters out and flash them around. But I decided that instead of just reading the lyrics for you i wanted you to feel it because for some of us you'll have a feeling that's going on and some of you young ones aren't going to get this but we'll have a feeling that's going on inside of us of this inner conflict that goes on inside of each of us about hell all right uh, no clap i told you not to clap listen did you, did you notice did you notice billy was wearing a big cross on his shirt because he just wanted to make sure he wasn't going to hell for singing that song in church and are you a little uncomfortable at how good our band does ACDC? That's wrong. They're going to do Barry Manilow next week. I'm going to make them do something out of their, out of their realm. But, but when that song was going on and we were rocking it in our, in our eight-track players, there, do you feel that conflict of like, man, this song rocks, but... I really hope I'm not going there. And then we come back and let me read this again. Let me read this again. What's really funny is people that are just coming in, they're like, what in the world? 
Welcome to Parkview. Let me read the scripture again. Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. When somebody asks me, do you believe I'll go to hell if I'm not a Christian? I would say that I want to handle that with a great amount of care because I don't care how much we try to make hell into an ACDC kind of party. Oh, my friends are going to be there too. We knew something deep down inside that we don't want to be on that highway. And you know that you don't, and I know that I don't. So if I was talking with a friend and they said, do you think I'm going to hell if I'm not a Christian? Here's what I would share with them. First of all, you don't have to ever worry about what I think about you because you're my friend and I love you and I appreciate you and I don't have absolute knowledge about your eternal destiny or anybody else's. And if I was God, you would be in heaven because you're my friend and I love you. But let me answer this question for you in, in three parts, okay? Let me answer it for you in three parts. Number one, I do believe in heaven and hell. I believe that they're real places, Okay? And the reason that I think it's safe to answer that to those people, and if you're one of those people asking me that question, the reason I think that it's safe to answer that to you is because you believe in heaven or hell, or you wouldn't be asking me in the first place. And the truth of the matter is, an L.A. Times recently, uh, publication just recently did a, a, a finding of a poll that they did on the afterlife. And they still, here's their quote, an overwhelming majority of Americans continue to believe that there's life after death and that heaven and hell still exist. According to a new study, two-thirds of the people, now some people believe in reincarnation and some other weird stuff, but two-thirds of the people that were, stu- that were asked this question believed that they were going to heaven. If you asked them why, they would say, because I'm a good person. And we'll get to all that, okay? I get that. Two-thirds said they were going to heaven. One half of one percent of them said they were going to hell. 120 to 1, people said they were going to heaven. Every once in a while, you got a friend that says, you know, I'm on a highway to hell, and I realize that, and it doesn't matter to me, or I guess there's nothing I can do about it, or whatever. But 120 of them are going to say, yeah, I believe I'm going to heaven. Now, now before I get too far into this, I know that some of you are going to want to know, okay, well, how about those people that never hear about Jesus, and, you know, what about the American Indians that never, you know, had a missionary come to them, and all those other kinds of things? Let me just briefly say that Romans chapter 1 tells us that people will be judged according to the amount of light that they had. They will be judged according to what they know, okay? And, and they will be judged according to their conscience. And uh, Jesus tells us that there are different levels of judgment, and obviously they have not rejected Jesus or, or God, uh, so they'll be judged according to what they know. And I believe that God is good all the way through. The psalmist said, won't the judge of the earth do what is right? And I believe that he will. And, and I also don't believe that and I don't believe that we have to be the ones to tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus can show up on his own. Uh, I mean, I, I, what I mean by that is that there are lots of... Acts 10 is a perfect illustration of a guy who was a, a, a person who was trying... Cornelius was trying to worship God in the way that he knew best, and God showed up to him supernaturally. And we hear reports of that going on in communist and Muslim countries all around the world, Okay. So I don't want to talk, I don't want to deal with that. Let, let, I know that people believe in heaven and hell, and I want to agree with them at that point. Why? Because the Bible says God has planted eternity in the human heart. Most cultures have a belief in something besides this life. There's an eternity somewhere. Mark Middleberg said, there's something strange about us humans. Though we are beings of the earth and limited in our perspective, we have a sense of being made for something more. 
We have a longing for a life that cannot be fulfilled here and now. That's again why I think when, we, when Highway to Hell was going on, or Stairway to Heaven, you know, for that matter, there, there, was, there was something inside of us that thought, well, okay, I get the music, and, you know, that's kind of funny, and that's kind of fun, but there really is something there. Not only that, but Jesus believed in eternity. You know, most people think that Jesus was a good teacher, and you can't think that Jesus was a good teacher, and he believed in heaven and hell, and not believe that there's a heaven and hell, or Jesus is a liar. It just doesn't make any sense. You listen to, to Jesus talk about heaven and hell, and he very definitely believed in it. Here's a couple of examples, John 14, 2. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Matthew 22, Jesus said, he was talking to the Sadducees, who were a group of people that didn't believe in life after death. And he said, you guys are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Jesus believed all that. In John 13, 3, 13, he said, No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven. Moi, the Son of Man. I'm the only one that can tell you about it because I'm the only one who has been there. You can't say Jesus was a great teacher if he believed in life after death and there is no hell. He's a liar. Besides that, his mission statement was to seek and save those who were lost. And as his followers, we should let that be our driving motivation as well. I mean, if there's no hell, Jesus should have stayed in heaven. And I should have a real job. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, what are we doing here? Okay? So, number one, I would say I do believe in an afterlife. I do believe in a heaven and hell. Number two, I also believe that not everybody is going to be in heaven. And so do you. We all know that there's got to be some kind of criteria to get into heaven there's got to be something. There are people that we don't want to be in heaven with us, so we've all got that view. If we're honest, uh, let me let um, Bart and his friends help you with this one. Now, I don't want you to get frightened, but it's my responsibility to teach you this. Today's topic will be hell. Oh, all right. I sat through mercy and I've sat through forgiveness. Finally, we get to the good stuff. Oh, hell is a terrible place. As a matter of fact, if you actually saw hell, you'd be so frightened you would die. Oh, Miss Albright. Yes, Bart. Wouldn't you eventually get used to it, like in a hot tub? No. Yes, Bart. Are there pirates in hell? Yes. Thousands of them. Oh, baby. So what you're saying is there's a downside to the afterlife. How does one steer clear of this abode of the dam? Good question. <laughs> there, there could be a downside to the afterlife. I mean, the truth of the matter is my, friend, my response to my friend's question was I, I, I would be guessing that you don't want everybody in heaven, do you? I mean, pirates, right? Somebody. There, there's people that you don't. There's got to be a cutoff line. So how does one, what does one have to do to stay out of the abode of the damned? That is the question. I think we could all come up with a list of people that we would say we definitely don't think they ought to be in heaven. Hitler, right? Stalin, Jack the Ripper, if you're from Cleveland, LeBron, I'm just saying. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we all have our list, right? People that we think are, are good enough to be there and people that aren't good enough to be there. But if you asked your friend, okay, who shouldn't be in heaven? And they, they start listing off people. And then you said, well, do you think you should be in heaven? 
Most of them, 66% of them, are going to say yes. Why? Because I was good enough. Because I'm better than Hitler and Stalin and Jack the Ripper. Because I'm better than those people. And God has some kind of a curve that he grades on. And I'm going to be okay. We call that judgment by comparison. I heard about these two, uh, these two guys at this town, these two brothers that were just notorious in this town. They were thieves, they were crooks, they were swindlers, and they were horrible people. And one of them died, and the other one went to the local church pastor and said, Hey, I need you to do a funeral for my brother. And I know you probably don't have anything good to say about me or him or whatever, but I want you to do a funeral for him. And if you'll do a funeral for him, I will donate a lot of money to your church's building program. Here's the one condition. You have to call him a saint. Pastor thought about it for a little bit. It really needed that building, so he said, decided he'd do it. He got up the next day, did the funeral. He said, this man who was laying here was a liar, a bully, a cheat, and a thief. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> and because that's what we do, right? We compare, we compare next to somebody else. Compared to Hitler, I'm good, right? And, and I think that if most people's view of heaven is this. Hey, I think it's fine for people to put their faith in Jesus if they want to, but I just don't think God would ever send a person to hell who lives a good life, regardless of what they believe about Jesus, which is a warm and fuzzy statement. And it sounds very inclusive, and it puts the maximum amount of people in heaven, which is what all of us want. We just don't want everybody there, right? We want the maximum, just not everybody. This, this is the universal religion thing that we try to do enough good for God that God says, okay, you're in, you've done enough good, Every, everybody, it's okay, let's go on. The question I would then ask is where is the line? Where is the line? What about those of us who are moral failures? Because in that view, we're excluded, right? Which is troublesome to me because honestly, friend, I'm a moral failure. I've made promises I haven't kept. I've loved myself more than others. I've lusted after the things of this life. I've had thoughts of impurity. I've harbored feelings of resentment and hatred towards others. I've known what was right and chosen to do wrong. I've known what was wrong and chosen to do it anyway. And then after I did all those things, I usually lied about it to somebody. In the words of Charles Barkley, I'm no role model. I'm a moral failure. And you would say back to me, oh, come on, PT, don't be so hard on yourself. You're, you're being a little extreme. Everybody does those things. To which I would say, precisely. So where is the cutoff? Somewhere above Hitler and below Mother Teresa. But where is it exactly? How do we know for sure? That is not a good way to live, is it, my friends? Because we don't know for sure. Because nowhere in the Bible is there a cutoff. Nowhere does it say if you keep five of the Ten Commandments, most of the time you're going to go to heaven. It doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, what it says is it takes perfection to be into heaven. So Mother Teresa doesn't even get a chance to go if we're following that code. It's real easy for us to underestimate our sin. It's real easy for me to compare myself to Hitler or, or, or just Jack the Ripper and say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. It would be easy for me to compare myself to a lot of people and say I'm a pretty good person. But it would also be easy for me to compare myself to a lot of other people and go, wow, I don't really measure up very well. And here's what you need to know. In spite of that, in spite of our sin and our spiritual rebelliousness, this is what I would tell my friend, hell was never God's plan, it's never God's purpose, and he doesn't want anybody to go there. The very most famous verse in the Bible says that, excuse me, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then the next verse, 
says, and God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save it. So then you're like, well, well, okay, then why does anybody end up in hell? It's because, listen carefully to me, because they choose to go there. Let me explain. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to go there, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's very simple. The people who face God's judgment someday are all those who have sinned, which is everybody, and our moral failures. All of us face judgment someday, but the ones who are going to have to be away from God for eternity are the ones who decided to refuse God's free gift of salvation. Hell is the logical consequence of a life lived in separation from God. The truth of the matter is, if you want to be on the highway to hell, there is nothing that God could do about it. Because you have freedom of choice. C.S. Lewis summed it up well. He said, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. People on earth who make this decision are saying, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be on the highway to hell. I don't need you. I don't need God in my life. I don't want to be that. Dallas Willard says it really well. He says, my concept of hell is very simple. It is God's best for some people. It is the best God can do for those who don't like him. The worst thing God could do to people who don't want to be with him is to force them to be with him. What that means is separation from God because people in hell want to be away from God, so he lets them. Hell is not something God enjoys. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. That is his wish. God is not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's trying to get them in. And I believe, Dallas Ward said, God will allow anyone in who in his judgment can stand to be with him. The business of being in heaven is very serious. If you got there and you found out you didn't like God, he goes on to say, that would be a problem. In heaven you're going to be up against God constantly forever. Listen, don't get caught up in the figurative language of hell. It's called eternal fire. It's called eternal darkness. Obviously, those are not literal because you can't have fire and darkness at the same place, right? You have fire, you have light. That's not going to work. What, the symbolistic language of the Bible is that hell is a horrible place. Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Absolutely. Why? Because for the very first time, people are going to experience being in a place with no God. Right now, you're in a place with God. Right now, if you're at the mall or, or, or you're at the drugstore or well, you're out at your job or, or you're out on the golf course or whatever you're doing, you're always with God because God inhabits this planet. You're always here. When we get to eternity, we're going to be in a place where God is everything and we're so close to him that we're his people all completely together. But hell is the place where there is not going to be any God. There's not going to be any light. There's not going to be any love. There's not going to be any hope. That's what hell really is. Deuteronomy 30, Moses is talking to the children of Israel and he's, he's warning them. He says, if, you, if your hearts turn away and you're not obedient and you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, then I'm telling you, Moses says, I'm telling you, I declare to you this day that you'll be destroyed and you will not live in the, long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. So choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Now listen to this. For the Lord is your life. 
Eternal life is the Lord. Eternal light is the Lord. Eternal love. God is love. You get to hell, you're out of all of those things. You're a person who says, I don't want to be with you, God. I want to be on my own. When Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he is not saying, if you choose somebody else, you're dead. He's saying, there is only one life. There is only one thing. Buddhism isn't life. Allah isn't coming for you. He's just waiting to see if you live up to his expectations. Well, you say, well, how can you be sure Jesus is the only way? I'm saying you should be happy that there is a way. That's what I'm saying. Jesus said in Revelation 3, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. So we answer this question. I think we really need to understand that this is not American Idol when we get to heaven, okay? This is not some kind of contest where you get up there and all of a sudden, you know, some people are going to go on and some people are going to go down and it depends on how many. That is, there, there's nothing about that in Scripture at all, okay? We are going to be judged and based on the judgment of God, we all deserve to be separated from Him because we have sin in our life. But because of God's grace, He sent His Son, Jesus and this is what it says in John 3:19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But the people love darkness instead of light. It starts with a choice. Greg Boyd says, if hell is locked, then it's locked from the inside. It's not the will of God that keeps them there. It's the will of sinners. This is what they want, to call their own shots and be apart from him. So it pains God, but he says, okay. C.S. Lewis called hell the greatest monument to human freedom. Greatest monument to human freedom. In Revelation 21.3, it says, The dwelling of God was with his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Heaven is about being with God. It's the with God life. It's eternal life. Okay, Eternal life doesn't happen after we die. Eternal life happens right now. In the Bible, it's defined by the only person who has knowledge of what eternal life is, and here's what Jesus says. He says, this is eternal life. And you should be like, okay, what is it? I want to know what eternal life is. This is eternal life, that they, us, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may know you. Heaven does not contain God, my friends. God contains heaven. When you think about heaven, don't think about this big town, this big city where you're going to walk around and all of a sudden one day you're going to walk up and find God there and he looks like George Burns and you're going to go up and, hey, God, thanks for this place, man. You really fixed it up nice. I really liked it. That's not what it's going to be. Heaven is a place where God is going to encompass the entire thing. God is going to be all around you. That's the point. If you don't want to be around God, then you have to go someplace where there is no God, and that's the choice that you have to make. Revelation 21 says, I did not see a temple in heaven, John says, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I was reading Psalm 27 last week. I said, one thing I ask of the Lord, David said, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Heaven is the kind of place where people who want to be in their own sin and want to be in darkness are going to be miserable. If you want to be on the highway to hell, that's your prerogative. But why would you want to be in heaven? Do you remember when you used to be able to smoke on airplanes? You're going to date yourself because it's been a long, long time ago. Old people, do you remember when you used to be able... 
You remember that? It was, it was so dumb because they actually had, you young people are going to not believe this, they actually had smoking sections and non-smoking section on the airplane. Like you could ever get away from the smoke in a little metal tube flying through the air. It was just ridiculous, okay? That's how I view heaven. If you don't want it, God is going to be everywhere. There's no place you're going to be able to run and get away from him. You're not going to be able to go hide in your own little darkness, in your own little corner, to do your own little thing. There's no way that's going to happen. If you don't want the God life now, it's going to be pretty oppressive on you later. So why would you want to be in God's family if you didn't want to be there? We've been watching a lot of our home videos. My friend's got a, a... a video company, so, you know, we got all these 8mm tapes from when our kids were younger, and so we are transferring them over to DVD, and we gave them to my buddy, and he's been transferring them over, and we're watching one the other day, and uh, all of a sudden, there's this kid in, in our video that we don't know, <laughs> and his name is Marcus, and, uh, and, and, and Marcus is running around in a place that I don't recognize, and the, the woman's voice who's running the camera as somebody that I don't know. And for about four or five minutes, we're watching this DVD, and we're watching Marcus run around, and we're like, who the heck is Marcus? Where did he come from? And, and we don't really know. I mean, he, there's only two possibilities. Either number one, somebody stole my camera for five minutes and went and used it in a place that I've never seen before, or maybe they were doing like several people's DVDs at the same time, and Marcus somehow got into our family, okay? That's the only explanation. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, okay? Then listen, Marcus is welcome to be in our family if he wants to. Um, but he already has a family. He already has a place to belong. He, 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 he has a place, okay? You have to decide whose family you want to be in. Basically, that's what it boils down to. You have to decide whose family you want to be in, and, and, and then you will be there forever because that's the way that it's going to work. Well, Tim, why does Jesus say there's only one way into the family? That's the part I don't like, right? That's, that's the next question. Because it's the truth. That's why Jesus says it, because it's the truth. Seventy-eight times in Scripture, Jesus begins a statement with, I tell you the truth. Okay? And one of Jesus' final prayers was that God would draw us into truth, even though the world will hate us for holding to it. In John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen to me. Every religion is exclusive. Don't tell me that Christianity is the only religion that's exclusive. I mean, you can have Baha'i or universalism or something that doesn't believe in anything, and they say whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you believe in a religion that actually does believe something, every religion is exclusive. You can't be a Muslim and not believe that Allah is the, is the one true God and Muhammad is his prophet. You, just, you can't argue with them on that because that's what they believe. You can't be a Buddhist and not believe in the eightfold path to enlightenment because that's what they believe. Every religion is exclusive somehow or another. And God's going to figure all that out in his own time. But what I know is that when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he was not being arrogant. He was speaking the truth. That's what I believe. Kyle Eidelman told me uh, a couple of months ago he was getting on a plane. He's a, he's a pastor down in Louisville. But he's on a plane in uh, Atlanta, and he was getting ready to go to Southern California. And along down the, down, after he sat in his seat down the aisleway came a friend of his, just happened to be on the same flight. And the friend kind of stopped, and as people were coming by, they chit-chatted a little bit. And finally Kyle said, well, what's taking you to Southern California? And his friend said, aha, very funny. I'm going to Dallas. And Kyle said, well, no, this plane's going to Southern California. He said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll see you in Dallas. And he walked on back to the back of the plane. And Kyle said, I didn't really know what to do. The guy next to me was getting a little worried. He's like, we are going to Southern California, right? And I, 
said, yeah. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I guess I'll tell on him. So he got the stewardess. He said, listen, the stewardess, my, uh, my, my friend back there who probably ought to be traveling with a companion, um, he, he's, on the, he's on the wrong plane, and you probably ought to tell him. And so she said, okay, I'll handle it. And she went back. And a couple seconds later, this guy came darting down the aisle and turned to Kyle and said, don't you dare tell anybody about this. And, you know, off he went. And, of course, Kyle preached it to his church, and I'm preaching it to you. But <laughs> Kyle, here's, here's the illustration. Kyle said, now imagine that I wouldn't have said anything. If, I, if he would have said, well, I'm going to Dallas, and I would have just said, well, okay, I mean, I, I don't want to be offensive to the guy. I mean, I don't want to make him feel like a dummy getting on a plane to California when he's supposed to be on a plane to Dallas. I don't want to make him feel bad. I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want, to, I don't want to come off as arrogant. So I guess I could have said nothing. But if it's true that the plane is going to Southern California, then it seems like it's the compassionate thing to say, not the arrogant thing to say. Isaac Newton said that gravity operates at 32 feet per second squared. I can look at it and say, you know what, I don't believe you, Isaac. I don't believe in gravity. And I could be up on my roof like I was on Friday, finally getting my Christmas lights down after the snow all melted away. And I could be up on the roof and and decide, instead of going down the ladder, to go down on my own because I don't believe in gravity. And I could step off the roof. Let me ask you a question. Would I float down like Mary Poppins? No, because it doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is truth and truth is 32 feet per second square it doesn't matter what you think what matters is the truth and if you think about it that only good people go to heaven plan is really a lot more exclusive than the jesus plan because the jesus plan is the most inclusive at all of, of all of them god wants all of us to be in heaven tim keller from new york says the gospel is the most inclusive exclusivity it says joyfully it doesn't matter who you are or what you're done it doesn't matter if you've been at the gates of hell you can be welcomed and embraced fully and instantly through jesus christ people think it's bigoted to say that jesus is the only way and i've wrestled with this all my life and i finally realized that it's not bigoted and it's not arrogant it's compassionate the plane is going to southern california I need to tell people. I need to tell people, listen, God loves you. He made you. He wanted a relationship with you. You sinned. You know you're not as good as Mother Teresa. You know you're not as good as Billy Graham. You know you're not as good as all those other people. You know you've sinned. You know we've all sinned. I've sinned. I'm a moral failure. If you want to answer, this is the easiest way I can answer that question. Do you think I would go to hell if I wasn't a Christian? The easiest comeback for me is I think I would go to hell if I wasn't a Christian. You can figure it out. I think I would, I know I would go to hell if I wasn't a Christian. See, Jesus' words are true. And so it's the single most important information you'll ever get. Eidelman again says, I picture it this way. Each of us has the opportunity to join one of two country clubs. One country club represents every other religion in the world, which basically can be summed up with a two-letter word, do, D-O. It's based on what you do. The club says if you want a membership in our country club, you've got to pay your dues. You have to perform a certain amount of rituals. You have to accomplish a certain number of good deeds, and then maybe we will let you in. And the truth of the matter is, in this country club, most of you are not going to make it in. You're not going to do enough, and the door will be closed. 
All other religions are basically based on the idea that people have to do something to earn good favor with God or a better reincarnation for the future. You use a Tibetan prayer wheel, you go on a pilgrimage to Mecca, you pay alms to the poor, you avoid eating certain foods, you knock on enough doors, hand out enough literature, you go through a series of reincarnations. All other religions believe you've got to do something to make yourself okay with God. But Christianity is different. It's like a country club with a wide open door. Christianity says if you want to come in, come in. You don't have to buy a membership. Jesus Christ has already bought and paid for your, de- your, your membership with his death on the cross. The only qualification is to acknowledge that you're not good enough to be in the club. And accept the invitation of Jesus to come in and join it. The door is open. This club doesn't care whether you're rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Latino, young, old. doesn't matter where you came from, what you've done. If you've been to the gates of hell, the doors are open for anybody who wants to walk through. Now I ask you, which of those two clubs sounds snobbish and arrogant? The one that you have to do something to earn your way in or the one where the door is wide open and the payment has already been made? The last thing I would tell them is God will do anything to keep me out of hell. He will do anything to keep you out of hell. Anything except rob you of your free will and your choice. That's something he cannot do. He cannot rob you of your free will because then he's going to have nothing but um, he's going to have nothing but robots up in heaven. And he wants people who choose him so he won't force his will on you. But he did pay the price for you. Let me ask you this question. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. If there's more than one way to God... What kind of a sick God is he? That he would allow his son to die on a cross for you and for me. If there is more than one way to God, what kind of a sick God is he? That he would send his son to earth and let him die this horrible death on a cross for you and me. I mean, if we could be good enough, if we could go this direction or that direction or get on that airplane or get on that airplane, what's the point of the cross? How does that make any sense? When Jesus got to the Garden of Gethsemane as the Son of God, as the perfect human being, he got to that moment and he said, hey God, just just before I go, is there any other way? Because I told people I was the way, but I'm hoping right now maybe there's another way because I don't really want to do this. I don't want to have to go through this if I don't have to. And God said, no, you are the way and the truth and the life. And you've got to do this. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. I, I don't think there should be arrogance when you're a Christian. Because... To be a Christian, you have to acknowledge that you're not very good. So when somebody says, well, why did God set it up so that so few people could get in? The answer is God set it up so that everybody can get in. I don't know why people choose the highway to hell. God loved the world so much that he gave everyone the gift of his son so that whoever believes in him will not have to part from him forever. And God didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. And Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And Peter sums it up really well. He says, the Lord is not slow in about his promise to return. People were complaining, when's Jesus going to come back? 
Peter said, the Lord's not slow about it. The reason he hasn't returned is he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be away from him for eternity. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. And remember that the Lord is waiting so that people have more time to be saved. I don't know how much more time we have. But I know that the reason that God hasn't come, that Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's waiting on us to make a decision. And he's waiting on us to tell our friends that they ought to make a decision. Because the door is wide open. There are two questions that Jesus asked. Who do they say that I am and who do you say that I am? At some point, when you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to the world, when you're reading a poll, whatever, you can say, well, this is what they say. This is what the world says. This is what my friends say. But at some point, you have to answer that most important question, and that is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And if you say, I believe that you are the son of the living God, and you are my Lord and Savior, And he will say, well, welcome. That's what I've been wanting you to say. I've been knocking on the door of your heart. Thanks for letting me in. Let's let eternal life start right now. It sounds too good to be true. But that's the offer. I really think deep down inside we know we're not good enough and it just sounds too good to be true. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense, does it, that God would love you enough to send his only perfect son down to die for me. It doesn't make any sense because I know I'm a failure. I know I'm a moral failure. I know I'm not good enough. It sounds too good to be true. I really think that's most people's problem with Christianity. It's just, it's just unbelievable that God would love me that he created me, that he would see worth inside of me, that he would see his heart, that I was actually created in the image of God. Because deep down inside, we all know we've messed up. And the evil one has given us this, this view of ourselves that is, is negative. It is about all the things that we've done wrong. And God wants to say, I know you've done wrong, but there's good inside of you. And I love you for that little piece of you that I created deep down inside and I want it to come out and express itself in eternal life and I want it to start right now. And I've provided a way for you to figure that out. All you've got to do is accept that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Right now we're going to have communion and it's a perfect opportunity for you to let Jesus in. Perfect opportunity for you to say, okay, I'm going to to eat this bread, I'm going to drink this cup and I'm going to realize that Jesus actually did this for me and that my entrance exam into the country club of eternal life in heaven is merely about me walking through the door and saying I can't save myself I'm a sinner Jesus I need you to forgive me I need you to be the Lord and Savior of my life and I'm going to take you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be your disciple you can do that right now during communion we have the opportunity for you to, to do that. And we're going to pass the trays. There's two cups, one inside the other. Bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Just take them both out, both sets of cups out, and hold them for a moment. You don't have to be a part of Parkview. Uh, if you're a believer, we want you to, to participate with us. We'd love for you to do that. If you need to make a decision for Christ, there's a prayer room outside this door. You fill out that form on your bulletin. Let us know how we can help you with it. Or you and God, you don't need me. You and God and Jesus can sort it out right now. And you can just say, Jesus... I can't believe it sounds too good to be true, but I accept your offer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us right now. If there are people in this room who need 
to accept you for the first time. They need to follow you. I pray that you'll help them to do that. Help them to open up and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in this club, but I'm going to take it. It sounds too good to be true, but if it is true, I'm going to believe. I'm going to follow you. You're, you're going to show me what I need to know. You're going to show me what eternal life really looks like. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, we're going to, we're going to say, Lord, thank you for a reminder again. And, and maybe this has been a hard message for us today because we're realizing that there are, there are people around us that they're on the plane to Dallas and they just don't get it. Maybe you're calling us to make a difference in their life. Maybe you're calling us to say, hey, I just want to make sure that you know that Jesus loves you and he's knocking on the door of your heart and you don't have to do anything to earn his favor. Maybe that's, maybe that's our job. I know it's our job as a church. I pray that you'll be with us as we commune with you now. Help us just to have a moment when we see what eternal life really feels like and really looks like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.